0: So hi, and welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how software can decarbonize the grid. To that end, we're joined by David Boundy, who's Chief Technology Officer at InnoWatts. David has about 20 years of experience in the energy and digital innovation sector. And as I mentioned, he's currently CTO at InnoWatts, which is a data analytics company that helps utilities and energy retailers around the world to optimize their businesses. So Dave, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Hey, Porter, and thank you very much for the invite. uh, Delighted to be here to talk about this uh, very exciting and uh, timely topic as we look at the transition that the energy grid is making and how digitization can facilitate that in terms of decarbonization and decentralization.
0: Great. And I guess to kick off, to give it a little bit of context to our listenership. So energy production, from what I understand, accounts for over 70% of global emissions. So if there's one area you can really focus on when it comes to addressing the issue of climate change, it would seem to be you would start with, uh, with energy production. Perhaps, David, you could tell us a little bit about uh, Innawatts and what you're working on uh, specifically in this space.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks. In terms of Innowatts, who we are, In essence, we're a new energy company. We use AI to help reduce the carbon intensity of energy that's provided to everyone's homes and businesses. And we do that at the same time as looking to drive an enhanced user experience of energy. Now, user experience of energy, most people think is I switch on the light, actually, I don't even think about the electrons that are being delivered to my light bulb to do that. But we're talking about how can we provide more information more proactive information help you understand for example what appliances are doing and how they're performing also ensuring that you know you're informed to know how much carbon is being used in the generation of the energy that you're consuming and how you could change the way in which or the timing by which you use energy to reduce that impact so that's in part what we do our customers are, energy retailers and network operators. So if you look at Ireland or UK as examples, you're talking about the likes of Energy or Eon, or obviously that's applicable in other parts of the world as well, or Iberdrola and Dessa. They're types of customers who we deal with. And a number of those are both on Uh, retail side, which is basically the buying and selling of electrons, and the network side, which is the delivery of those electrons from the generator to, using the example I said earlier, your light bulb. So in essence, we provide analytics and intelligence by consolidating all of the usage data and joining that with information such as uh, customer relationship management systems or energy trading and risk management systems, geospatial data, socioeconomic data. We bring all of that data together and we derive insights that aid our customers, the retailers and network operators, to provide their customers with a better experience whilst at the same time aiming to improve the gross margin of our customers.
0: Fantastic. So we're talking about how software can decarbonize the grid. Dave, um, to go back to first principles, can you explain what an electric grid is?
1: Yes, simply put, an electricity grid is the system that delivers energy from its point of generation to its point of consumption. That system in effect, hasn't really changed substantially since its, its invention and introduction over 100 years ago. So we're at a point where we're seeing a dramatic change. That change ostensibly can be summarized in we're moving from a demand-led system, i.e. whereby whatever we need in terms of electricity when we want to switch on our lights or switch on our oven or an industry wants to heat up and melt metal, They can do it when they want to and the way in which that is supported is the network operators who build and own the network systems that are the cables and the transformers that deliver the energy to the consumption point they just put in more cables bigger transformers and the generation companies provide more generation so typically in the past that would have been large-scale coal or gas-fired power stations And what we're now seeing is that we're at the point where we're moving, there's a transition from that demand-led system to a supply-driven system. And what I mean by that is as we move to the renewable era, the supply of electricity becomes dependent on those renewable sources. So when the wind blows, when the sun shines, that's when we'll get electricity. And whilst we can store a certain amount of power, we can't store all the power we need, and hence we'll start to see a change and a shift in terms of the consumption to being much more aligned with the availability of supply. And that's where digitization comes into play and analytics and how we can enable that through compute.
0: And David, if we're to consider decarbonized grid, could you explain what exactly that looks like?
1: Yeah, sure. If we look at today's state of the grid, I'll take the uh, the Irish context and forgive me for not having the most up-to-date figures. But last year, the Irish grid ran in the region of 30 to 40% of all of the energy that was consumed was renewable by source. That's predominantly from wind, um, some from hydro. So as we look to have a decarbonized grid, it's where we'll get to the point where in essence, a much higher percentage of the energy that's consumed will be renewable. And ultimately, it will all be renewable. So instead of it being generated from sources such as oil, coal, gas, it will come from wind, sun, biofuels, etc. And that's the transition that we're in at the moment. But to support that, is a very complex process. You can't just say, well, we're going to switch off a gas power plant and switch on a wind turbine because as I mentioned before, the wind blows when the wind blows. Also, the grid is highly volatile based on changes in generation and demand and they have to be matched at all times.
0: David, if we're to think about the renewable energy that we have in the mix today, so within the energy mix, you, you mentioned in Ireland, somewhere in the 30 to 40% region is renewable. Who are the leaders internationally in driving the creation of renewable energy? Is it traditional energy companies that are moving into the space? Is it renewable energy specialists? Where is the main innovation and production
1: coming from? Great question. I would say it's, it's not one source if you step back. In time, and obviously the renewable transition has been going on for many decades at this stage. So there were wind turbines being developed out of universities originally. Likewise, solar, uh, solar PV was coming out of academic spaces and it's taken quite a long time to build up momentum. That momentum has in part been fueled by government policies, which have subsidized the cost of renewable generation. But we're now crossing a key point in time where the cost of renewable generation is starting to compete with carbon-based generation, which will mean that those subventions will eventually move away to the point where it will be a competitive standalone. So In terms of who are the innovators, there are now many. It's been building off of the backs of decades of of research work that's gone on in this space. If, to your point around, is it the energy companies, the traditional energy companies, what we're seeing there is those energy companies are now buying up the renewable generation companies that had formed and had been pioneering the way, and they're now developing their own renewable generation locations, so wind farms and solar farms.
0: Uh, David, you mentioned earlier there's this shift going on where we're moving from, you know, the demand led to the supply led. Is there a risk in the new supply led world that maybe uh, we end up with some sort of energy poverty where maybe lower income households are struggling to afford the costs of energy? Or
1: do you see energy costs actually coming down in this new world? That's, again, a key point where policy has to play a role. It may not necessarily be directly as a result of decarbonization and and the move to renewables that could result in energy poverty, but more in relation to the role of decentralization, which is one of the other themes that we're seeing happening at the same time. Decentralization is where the dependency on the centralized infrastructure, so the large-scale transmission lines and the localized distribution networks, becomes less And the way that happens is by what would be referred to today as people who are leading the way, bleeding edge people who are adopting local renewables as that becomes more widespread and commonplace. And we move from the early adopters to the majority. That majority will be the people who number one can afford or have the credit rating that enables them to deploy local renewable generation sources and storage within their homes. And number two, have the space for it, which reflects the same demographic of people. And if that's not regulated and planned for effectively, those people could, in effect, disconnect from the grid and not have to pay a large percentage or anything of their energy bill, right? They're just paying for their local element. And your actual energy generation component, depending on where you are in the world, represents in and around between 30 to 40% of your actual energy bill. So the rest of it is made up through taxes and transmission and distribution charges. So if you're no longer having to pay those charges, that network, that system is still required at the same scale and same distribution across a country as is there today. and needs to be supported and hence that could drive disparity in terms of access to energy.
0: I think that both at the household and at the corporate level, there's going to be a strong desire for people to embrace renewables over, let's say, dirtier sources of energy. Is there a robust and reliable way to be able to prove or demonstrate that the energy you are utilizing is renewable? So if I'm a, a large manufacturing company and I want to burnish my environmental credentials and tell all my customers that if only renewable energy has gone into the production of my finished goods, Is there a way I can do that right now or how could technology enable us to be able to prove that to the to the final customer?
1: Yeah, the short answer is no, you can't directly relate an electron that you consume to its specific source. However, the way in which it's managed and the way in which it's measured within the marketplace is by looking at a couple of different factors. One is If all the energy that is being consumed on a network at any particular time is from a renewable source, then that's one way you can guarantee that your energy is green. The other way in which it's managed is by providers who are, so say an energy retailer who is selling you your energy source, all of their energy. So they contract all of the energy that they're selling. With renewable sources, again, whilst they're contracting in that energy, it's not to say that you as an individual are consuming those electrons that were derived from that renewable source. However, your money is paying towards those renewable sources. So you can't directly link the electron to the source, but it can be done by companies saying, okay, we only buy renewable energy. And the way they do that is by, as I said, contracting directly or having another way in which it's managed is through the use of or guarantees of origin. So this is saying, okay, I'm paying a company in some other part of Europe, as an example, to generate renewable energy, which is going to go into the European grid. And I'm using that to offset carbon intensive energy that I'm actually providing to my customer. So in a way, it's a bit of greenwashing. And I think it's something that will come more to the fore and it will be those suppliers who actually have true green energy
0: David, I'd also be very interested in your opinion on what you see as the most promising technologies in the renewable space. So over the last 15 years, there have been different moments where solar looked like the saviour, where maybe wind has come more to the fore. What do you see right now?
1: In essence, there won't be one individual winner. It's going to be a combination of all of those measures because to have a scalable sustainable system we're going to need to have multiple sources of generation obviously at night the sun doesn't shine so solar can't win out there however solar can be deployed on people's rooftops without much interference with the rest of the environment that the rooftop is already there and if you take for example tesla have been working on the tesla tile which is in essence replaces your roof tiles with solar tiles and they you know, aesthetically, they look like a normal roof tile. So obviously that plays out. From the wind, obviously wind can provide, depending on what part of the world you're in, but if you take Ireland, where we're based, Ireland and uh, the West Coast, obviously off of Portugal and uh, the West Coast of Spain, that's another very good space for wind and wave energy. So wave is probably one of the laggards and is something that has struggled to kind of take a foothold and develop. Tidal is something that has matured a bit more in recent years. And and then also we've got natural storage through water. If you look in the Nordics, that's the dominant renewable source there. All of those sources, I think, are going to play a role in the future grid, but combined with those, another essential component, which as well has been advancing or taking leaps and bounds in recent decades, is is battery storage. So battery storage has been reducing in cost and improving in the density and capacity to store, probably in the region of doubling every two years in terms of capacity and halving in cost. If we can continue on that path and the same in terms of solar PV and the same for wind, et cetera, then they'll be the dominant players, wind, solar, and battery storage. Fantastic.
0: If we were to maybe step back and look at the topic that we are really focusing on for today, which is how software can be used to decarbonize the grid, could you give us some examples of of what you're seeing in that regard?
1: Yeah, I suppose to start off with the three underlying trends that are happening in the grid. One is decarbonization, which I think we've touched on. Two is decentralization, which I mentioned in terms of the move towards distributed generation. And three is digitization. Digitization really underlies the other two and is, is central to that. And as part of I suppose, the decarbonization element as well, I should say that there's a couple of underlying trends to that, which is the electrification of transport and heat. So they will drive significant increases in the amount of energy that is transferred in the form of electricity going forward. Those primary trends of decentralization and decarbonization have a fundamental impact on the former approach, which was a, as I previously outlined, a demand led grid to a supply driven grid. As we move to a supply driven grid, we need to be able to understand in real time what is happening throughout the grid so that we can balance demand to supply. Previous models, where it was the demand led system, were were much more simple and also the energy usage patterns were much more predictable. But as I said, as we see the increasing trends of electrification of transport and heat, those usage patterns have become less predictable and hence the need for greater insights, more data to feed the systems that deliver those insights that will help us understand and manage the demand to uh, match with the supply are gonna be essential. Uh, Coupled with that is we will need to see a much more direct control of the end consumer. Um, So that could be, for example, when your washing machine, for example, activates or, you know, looking at heating or cooling in a way that matches, again, with the availability of supply. Now, all of those things, that sounds a little bit 1984 type scenario where someone else is controlling how you consume energy. But I think the other side to that equation is that the systems need to understand how the users want to consume that energy. So if I'm talking about my electric vehicle, the way in which I want to consume it is I want power in the battery when I want to drive it. Do I really care when it's delivered? Not really. So if the system can understand when I need to drive and how far I need to drive, then it can deliver the energy in advance. So software and analytics in particular will play a key role in terms of understanding those constraints and also in terms of providing the control system to enable us to have that transition without having a negative impact on our everyday lives as consumers.
0: Do you imagine that there's a scenario in which there could be energy shortages or that at the consumer level, we're kind of thinking, oh, there's there's not enough power for me to charge my car today? Or will the technology uh, allow this transition to be more seamless?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, those things happen today. We're just a little bit, unless you're in the industry, you may not be exposed to it. But uh, if we take an example, it's probably now going back to 2018 where the UK had to do maintenance on one of its nuclear power plants and then had a significant drop in its its available supply And they were taking supply through an interconnector from France. And then France had two unexpected maintenance issues that they had to deal with on their own generation capacity, which in effect reduced the available supply going into the UK market. And the UK market was operating very near to full capacity throughout an extended period in that year. Those scenarios happen actually on a relatively regular cadence. And obviously, as we, we move away from carbon-based generation, which in of itself can be relatively flexible, to more renewable sources, we become more dependent on, for example, the wind blowing. And if it's not blowing, and if we don't plan to have the right mix of renewable sources in the system, we could definitely end up with energy shortages.
0: The the last question I have for you um, relates to microgeneration. So when I was in university, and this is going back more than 15 years ago, uh, a lot of the talk was around microgeneration between a mixture of photovoltaic, solar and wind. Folks would be producing their own energy at home in many instances and maybe selling the excess back to the national grid. Has much of this come to pass over the past 15 years? Or was that maybe just a, I suppose, an aspirational future that didn't come about?
1: Uh, No, it it has. We've seen it. It depends, again, on the, the market. If you take Germany as an example, there was extensive amounts of that. And there were a lot of subsidies given by the government for solar generation which in hindsight were probably not the best thought through because it resulted in the established energy companies going into deficit in the tune of billions for several years and resulted also in instability within the grid system itself. So in terms of the frequency, the difficulty in maintaining frequency within the grid. So that was a a challenge, right? But that was a great example of where microgeneration was occurring, and it is happening more and more. Wind turbines are probably not necessarily going to be a feature that we'll see in people's back gardens, but solar on rooftops is uh, is increasing. In fact, building regulations in a number of countries now are mandating that there will be a solar generation. As regards um, selling that into the grid, again that that depends on the different markets but most markets within Europe are moving to a point where you can sell energy back into the grid
0: fantastic actually i'm going to i'm going to pop one more question over to you dave do you feel we're at a tipping point now like do you expect that the attractiveness of carbon intensive energy is on the wane and we're going to see a lot of those facilities maybe shut down over the next 10 years or are we still a little bit away from that
1: no we're we are at that tipping point again, if you take Ireland, they have a goal of seventy five percent of all energy generated and consumed on the island will be from renewable sources by twenty thirty. That means that a number of those plants will shut down. Um, a number of them will still be required. They may not be running, but they will be there to provide capacity services to the market so in essence what that means is if there's a winter peak when there's a champions league game on and at halftime and everyone boils the kettle then they might need to respond at that point or if there's a frequency issue as in the frequency on the grid can't be maintained they may need to step in so they will be contracted to do some of that and that will probably be more the likes of the gas generation plants you know ultimately They will over time also be depleted as battery storage becomes more affordable and more extensive and more scalable. But that will require as well some some market re-engineering as we we move through that. So yes, we're already seeing that point tipping over in many, many countries, but there's still a long way to go. Well,
0: um, Dave, we might leave it there. First of all, um, thanks for joining us. It's been a very enjoyable discussion. Thank you very much for having
1: me. I'm delighted to connect.
0: And I suppose we're, we're closing on a very optimistic note on this and good to see that I guess the, uh, the future does look bright in terms of decarbonizing the grid and solving some of the major challenges we have in front of us vis-a-vis climate change. So thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, production by Albina Krasteva, as always. Editing by Adnan Tukar and music by Robert Cooney. And we'll catch you next time on Stories of Software.